Boom. And it's Thursday, February 8th, 2024. And today we're talking about the Kama Sutra. And we're talking about liberation theology. Yes, you heard that right. Today we're dealing with the Kama Sutra. And we're dealing with liberation theology. Um, so let's just dive right in here. Wikipedia is going to help us out. The Kama Sutra is an ancient Indian Sanskrit text on sexuality, eroticism, and emotional fulfillment in life. Attributed to uh, Vatsayana, the Kama Sutra is neither exclusively nor predominantly a sex manual on sex positions, but rather was written as a guide to the art of living well, the nature of love, finding a life partner, maintaining one's love life, and other aspects pertaining to pleasure-oriented faculties of human life. Is a sutra genre text with terse, aphoristic verses that have survived into the modern era with different but yasas, uh, exposition and commentaries. The text is a mix of prose and an astute meter poetry verses. The text acknowledges the Hindu concept of purushtaratus and lists desire, sexuality, and emotional fulfillment as one of the proper goals of life. Its chapters discuss methods for courtship, training in the arts to be socially engaging. Finding a partner, flirting, maintaining power in a married life, when and how to commit adultery, sexual positions, and other topics. The majority of the book is about the philosophy and theory of love, what triggers desires, what sustains it, and how and when it is good or bad. Okay, so, um, don't need to go in too much into the, you know, the date, author, and history. Let's just go with um, a little bit of background here. The Hindu tradition has the concept of the Purushtadas, which outlines four main goals of life. It holds that every human being has four proper goals that are necessary and sufficient for fulfilling and happy life. Dharma signifies behaviors that are considered to be in accord with Rata. Rata, the order that makes life and, uni- and the universe possible and includes duties, rights, laws, conduct, virtues and right way of living hindu dharma includes the religious duties moral rights and duties of each individual as well as behaviors that enable social order right conduct and those that are virtuous dharma according to van butenem is that which all existing beings must accept and respect to sustain harmony and order in the world it is states van butenem the pursuit and execution of one's nature and true calling thus playing one's role in cosmic concert. Artha signifies the means of life, activities, and resources that enables one to be in a state one wants to be in. Artha incorporates wealth, career, activity to make a living, financial security, and economic prosperity. The proper pursuit of Artha is considered an important aim of human life in Hinduism. Kama signifies desire, wish, passion, emotions, pleasure of the senses, the aesthetic enjoyment of life, affection, or love, with or without sexual connotations. Uh, Muska signifies emancipation, liberation, or release. Okay? And just, you know, to give us an idea, by the way, let's just cover for a second. Historians have variously placed uh, the Kama Sutra's origin between 400 BCE and 300 CE. Um... Let's see here. 
so um, one second okay the earliest foundations of the Kama Sutra are found in the Vedic era literature of Hinduism Vatsayana acknowledges this heritage in verse 1.1.9 of the text where he names Svetekatu Uralaka as the first human author of the of the Kama Sutra. Uralaka is an early Upanishadic Rishi, scholar, poet, sage, whose ideas are found in the Vihidvayanak Upanishad, such as in section 6.2, and the Chanda Yoga Upanishad, such as over the verses 5.3 through 5.10. These Hindu scriptures are variously dated between 900 BCE and 700 BCE, according to the Indo logist and Sanskrit scholar Patrick Olivier, Among with other ideas such as Atman, Self, Soul, and the ontological concept of Brahman, these early Upanishads discuss human life, activities, and the nature of existence as a form of, of internalized worship, where sexuality and sex is mapped into a form of religious Yanjish ritual, sacrificial fire agni, and sophistic spiritual terms. Okay, and we're quoting here, a fire, that is what a woman is, Guatama. Her firewood is the vulva, her smoke is the pubic hair, her flame is the vagina. When one penetrates her, that is her embers, and her sparks are the climax. In that very fire the gods offer semen, and from that offering springs a man. This is from the Bihida Yanka Upanishad, 700 BCE, translated by Patrick Oliville. According to the Indologist, a view with which Dianjit agrees, this is one of the many evidences that the Kama Sutra began in the religious literature of the Vedic era, ideas that were ultimately refined and distilled into a Satcha genre text by Bhattasayana. According to Daniju, this paradigm of celebrating pleasures, enjoyment, and sexuality as a dharmic act began in the earthly, vibrant text known as the Rigveda of the Hindus. The Kama Sutra and celebration of sex, eroticism, pleasure is an integral part of the religious milieu in Hinduism and quite prevalent in its temples. Okay, so, but Sayana's Kama Sutra states it has 1,250 verses distributed over 36 chapters and 64 sections organized into seven books. Kama Sutra uses a mixture of prose and poetry. And the narration has the form of a dramatic fiction where two characters are called the Nayaka man and Nayika woman, aided by the characters called Pitamarda, Libertine and Vita Pandur, Viryashka Jester. This format follows the teachings found in the Sanskrit classic named the Natsaya Nastra. Okay, we're not gonna go into you know all the you know the chapters and the verses here. You can you know check those out. Um So, across human cultures, states Mikhail Foucault, the truth of sex has been produced and shared by two processes. One method has been ours erotica text, while the other has been the sentia sexualis literature. The first are typically of the hidden variety and shared by one person to another, between friends or from a master to a student, focusing on the emotions and experience, sans physiology. These bury many of the truths about sex and human sexual nature. The second are empirical studies of the type found in biology, physiology, and medical texts, focusing on the physiology and objective observations sans emotions. The Kama Sutra belongs to both camps, states Donninger. It discusses in its distilled form the physiology, the emotions, and the experience, while citing and quoting prior Sanskrit scholarship and the nature of Kama. Okay. 
Uh, of course, then it goes into flirting and courtship. Third century text includes a number of themes, including subjects such as flirting that resonate in the modern era context. For example, it suggests that a young man seeking to attract a woman should hold a party and invite the guest to recite poetry. In the party, a poem should be read with parts missing, and the guest should compete to creatively complete the poem. It's another example. The Kama Sutra suggests that the boy and the girl should go play together, such as swim in a river. The boy should dive into the water from the girl he's interested in, then swim underneath to get close to her, emerge from the water and surprise her, touch her slightly, and then dive again away from her. Book 3 of the Kama Sutra is largely dedicated to the art of courtship with the aim of marriage. Okay. Um, so the book's opening verse declares marriage to be a conducive means to a pure and natural love between the partners. So then we get into intimacy and foreplay. Vatsayana's um, Kama Sutra describes intimacy of various forms, including those between lovers, before and during sex. Yeah, that's what we're dealing with here. So the text presents 26 forms of kissing, ranging from those appropriate for showing respect and affection to those during foreplay and sex. Batsyana also mentions various variations in kissing cultures in different parts of ancient India. Goes into adultery as well. Apparently it discourages adultery, but then devotes, quote, not less than 15 sutras to enumerating the reasons for which a man is allowed to seduce a married woman. Look at that. Of course, then, you know, caste and class. Shows a near total disregard of class and caste. Human relationships, including the sexual type, are neither segregated nor repressed by gender or caste. Rather linked to individual's wealth. Eh, of course it is. In the pages of the Kama Sutra, lovers are not upper class, but they must be rich enough to dress well, pursue social leisure activities, buy gifts, and surprise the lover. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And what can we say about that? Same-sex relationships. The Kama Sutra includes various, uh, excuse me, includes verses describing homosexual relations, such as oral sex between two men, excuse me, such as oral sex between two men, as well as between two women. Lesbian relations are extensively covered in chapters five and eight, and book two of the text. According to Donisher, the Kama Sutra discusses same-sex relationships through the notion of the Trityat Prakriti, literally third sexuality or third nature. Yeah, interesting. We could dive into this for hours, couldn't we? Just hours and hours just thinking and talking about the Kama Sutra, exploring, you know, different positions. Again and again. Again and again, this, you know, this by way, you know, brings us to to Sir, to, to Sir Richard Francis Burton. I don't know if we talked about him before. I think I mentioned him at some point here, but he was here. He is, you know, he's the first. We're talking about translations, of course. Now, um, the first English translation of the Kama Sutra was privately printed in 1883 by the Orientalist Sir Richard Francis Burton. He did not translate it, but did edit it to suit the Victorian British attitudes. Okay. Um, 
So should we do a little sidetrack on the great Sir F uh, Richard Francis Burton? I mean, this guy was um, this guy was something to say the least. This guy was something. So let's just do a little sidetrack here. Uh, Richard Francis Burton, sir, was a British explorer, writer, Orientalist scholar, and soldier. He was famed for his travels and explorations in Asia, Africa, and the Americas, as well as his extraordinary knowledge of languages and cultures. According to one count, Burton spoke 29 languages. Jesus Christ. Burton's best-known achievements include a well-documented journey to Mecca in disguise at a time where non-Muslims were forbidden access on pain of death, an expurgated translation of 1001 Nights, commonly called the Arabian Nights in English, the publication of the Kama Sutra in English, a translation of the Perfume Garden, the Arab Kama Sutra, and a journey with John Hanning Speck as the first Europeans to visit the Great Lakes of Africa in search of the source of the Nile. His works and letters extensively criticized colonial policies of the British Empire, even to the detriment of his career. Although he aborted his university studies, he became a prolific and erudite author and wrote numerous books and scholarly articles about subjects including human behavioral, travel, falconry, fencing, sexual practices, and ethnography. A characteristic feature of his books is the copious footnotes and appendices containing remarkable observations and information. William Henry Wilkins wrote, quote, So far as I can gather from all I have learned, the chief value of Burton's version of the scented garden lay not so much in his translation of the text, though that, of course, was admirably done, as in the copish notes and explanations which he had gathered together for the purpose of annotating the book. He had made the subject a study of years. With the notes of the book alone, he has been collecting material for 30 years, though his actual translation of it only took him 18 months. Burton was a captain in the army of the East India Company, serving in India, and later briefly in the Crimean War. Following this, he was engaged by the Royal Geographical Society to explore the east coast of Africa, where he led an expedition guided by locals and was the first European known to have seen Lake Tangaya. In later life, he served as British consul in uh, Fernando Po, now uh, Bioko, Equatorial Guinea, uh, Santos in Brazil, Damascus, now Syria, and finally in Tristis, now Italy. He was a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society and was awarded knighthood in 1886. I mean, this guy led an incredible, an incredible life. It's really all we can really say about the kind of life that this guy led. I'm just going to... Um, you know, finish up with, you know, the great Sir Richard Francis uh, Burton by just giving you a taste of his personality. Um, let's see if we can get a, a good one here. Um, while in the army, he kept a large menagerie of tame monkeys in the hopes of learning their language, accumulating 60 words. He also earned the name Rufian Dick for his demonic ferocity as a fighter 
and because he had fought in single combat more enemies than perhaps any other man of his time. Um, so that's what we're dealing with here with uh, Sir Richard Francis Barton. Um, well, you know, I tip my my cap to, to Sir Richard Francis Burton as one of the great, uh, you know, figures of history, as perhaps one of the greatest humans to ever live. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. How about that? Yeah, I said it. I'll say it again. Sir Richard Francis Burton was perhaps one of the greatest humans to ever live. I tip my cap to him. Um, I am honored to, uh, you know, read his works. I am honored to uh, be able to reflect on such a great human being. And I am just... uh, I hope I am worthy of um, of s- such a such a figure that um, I don't know if I am worthy though to I'm imagining myself in the presence of such a figure. It's really hard to really. They don't make them like that anymore. That's just uh, it's just a fact. I don't. Perhaps they do. Perhaps there's some that, you know, can um, can come somewhat close to. To this figure. But um. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we're talking about uh, an extraordinary individual here talking about Sir Richard Francis Burton just incredible absolutely incredible Um, by the way he was born in uh, uh, on March 19th 1821 passed away October 20th 1890 I mean, it's all just incredible. His first explorations and journey to Mecca. And of course, it's the exploration of the African Great Lakes. Diplomatic service and scholarship. Incredible. Um, but yeah. So yeah, let's just um, give a moment here for uh, Sir Richard Francis Burton. And, um, 
we'll just end, uh, you know, with, um, you know, this part about him. An obituary described him, uh, quote, he was ill-fitted to run an official harness, and he had a Byronic love of shocking people, of telling tales against himself that had no foundation. In fact, men at the foreign office used to hint dark horrors about Burton, and certainly, justly or unjustly, he was disliked, feared, and suspected, not for what he had done, but for what he was believed capable of doing. Yeah. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. So, you know, we got on to the topic of uh, the great Sir Richard Francis Burton because he was, you know, instrumental in, um, you know, he got the first English version of the, of the Kama Sutra. Uh, in uh, the first English version by Richard Burton became public in 1883, but it was illegal to publish it in England and the United States till 1962. So that we're talking not to you know keep going with Sir Richard Francis Burton, but just uh, you know so ahead of his time, of course. Point is, we're dealing with the Kama Sutra here. The Burton version of the Kama Sutra was produced in an environment where Victorian minds and Protestant pro-selectors were busy finding faults and attacking Hinduism and its culture, rejecting as faithy paganism and anything, anything sensualist and sexual in Hindu arts and literature. Burton made two important contributions to the Kama Sutra. First, he had the courage to publish it in the colonial era against the political and cultural mores of the British elite. Creatively found a way to subvert the then-prevalent censorship laws. Second major contribution was to edit it in a major way by changing words and rewriting sections to make it more acceptable to the general British public. Yep. So, so that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the Kama Sutra. I think we're going to, this is going to be part one of, you know, a series on the Kama Sutra and liberation theology. Um... This might even be a prologue, actually. Let's say this is a prologue. <clears throat> I'm going to have to really, you know, uh, figure this out here and uh, the way we're going to dive right in. But I think it's time. Definitely think it's time. So um, we're going to revisit all of this going forward. That's what we're doing right now. So if you're not interested, you better go somewhere else because probably at least for the next uh five days at the least we're going to be talking about the kama sutra and liberation theology so okay that's what we're dealing with here on this thursday february 8th 2024 um i you know, hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are hope you're doing what you need to do resting and recovering including it's actually what i'm doing today um you know I had a busy day yesterday as you know uh, to make contact with various members of the government. Uh, I also had a fantastic workout in. Um, so it was all those things together. Um, plus had to, you know, uh, take care of my grandfather at night, as you know. Um, family members came over later at night. We, uh, you know, uh, took the wheelchair out and, uh, you know, had a nice walk through the neighborhood with my grandfather. 
Um, you know, just to sum it all up, it was a long day. Um, so, you know, I uh, kicked the day off today with some uh, creatine and uh, water. They're uh, mixed. Probably have a protein shake at some point here. Probably going to have a, a cerveza at another point here. Uh, probably a point here soon. Uh, I'm going to get some food. Rest, recovery. Um, that's what it's all about. Remember that. Got to rest, got to recover, uh, as well as move forward. Um, this is all what we're dealing with here. And, of course, we're starting to dive into the Kama Sutra and liberation theology. So that's what um, we're dealing with. And, um, you know, there is a dead president. So that's something to bear in mind. Uh, he may or may not have been drinking. Um, and that is not something that, in my view, has been investigated enough. Though it seems to be quite obvious, uh, the possibility, that is, that he may have been drinking when he crashed the helicopter. Um, and I, the only reason I put this forward is because it was after he had left lunch and it was um, that he decided to fly in inclement weather against the advice of his friends. And to me, this just seems like a classic case of, uh, you know, uh, driving or flying under the influence. Probably had a few at lunch. Uh, you're like, hey, why not? I've got a helicopter here. Um, I can easily do this. I've done it a thousand times. And your friend's probably like, mm, hey, buddy, um, you know, we got bad weather here. Probably shouldn't be flying a helicopter right now. And you're like finishing your glass of wine or your cerveza. And you're like, what are you talking about, son? Do this with my eyes closed. And you say this as you have your last gulp. Next thing you know, you're in a helicopter. And you're in inclement weather. And, you know, you're not seeing right. You know the deal. You had a few too many. And you're flying a helicopter. Um... To me, this seems like a very distinct possibility of what happened. Uh, of course, we do not have the autopsy reports yet. And the, the, the question really is, will they be, um, will they be forthcoming with the, you know, the findings of the, of the blood level, of the blood, excuse me, of the blood alcohol levels? Are we actually going to get the, um, you know, the real figures here? Because, of course, this does put quite a bit of a of a dent in any kind of political, um, you know, show, because, of course, it seems to have already been used as, you know, kind of a, of a, a national, uh, you know, coming together kind of a bent. Um, and, of course, though, if the guy was just, you know, blind drunk, um, it would put a, you know, a different spin on the whole, uh, you know, uh, national unification idea. Though, you know, I'm not judging the guy for having, uh, you know, had too many, um, you know, drinks at lunch. Absolutely not. In fact, I'm going to crack one open here anytime here now. So I do, of course, know that um, he did have passengers with him so should not you know if you're gonna fly your helicopter and you're drunk uh first you don't want to do that with any kind of passengers 
second, you don't want to do it uh, in any kind of uh, you know urban environment, uh, which he did not. He was doing it. He was flying over a lake, so at least he was considering that. Uh, but mind you, this is only my theory. Um, this is not an official government theory that uh, he may or, or have, may not have been uh, you know blind drunk or stone drunk, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I do think it's uh, very likely. And, uh, I mean, is it not likely? He literally had just left lunch, and he's flying a helicopter against the advice of uh, friends in that weather. Seems to me very likely that he was uh, that he was stone drunk. But just my theory, just my opinion. We will wait for the official report from the government, and we will dive right into that. Uh, at this moment. All we know is that it is Thursday, February 8th, 2024, and I will uh, see you soon.